Did you get a chance yesterday to get outside? It turned out to be a beautiful day, didn't it? It's a beautiful day, a beautiful day to be outside. Spring is just bursting everywhere, right? We went from like freezing temperatures to yesterday you've got foot-high weeds and all the places I don't want weeds, you know. Uh, the, the tulips and the flowers are over a foot high, 14, 16 inches. Where, how did they, where do they even come from, right? They just, you're, you're busy one day and the next day you've got over foot-high plants in your yard, just, just boom. But we don't say this about trees, do we? Right? Nobody has a tree that, that uh, grew up six feet in the last week. Right? That, would be, that would be crazy. But, but every tree in your yard, every tree in the forest was once the same size as a tulip. Right? They, they all started somewhere. And, and they grew just like the tulips are growing. But one of my favorite quotes, uh, a tree is the slow explosion of a seed. Now we get astonished by tulips as they explode in spring. You know, we get, we get astonished by the weeds as they explode. But the tree is the same thing. It's just a slow explosion of a seed. It's the same seed, though. This is a point that Jesus makes when he talks about his kingdom. He says it's just a seed. It's a seed that's planted. It's a small seed that's planted in your hearts. And then it grows up to be this great thing. The kingdom is like a seed and the gospel produces trees. God put a seed in your soul when you heard the good news about Jesus. And the Spirit has watered it, and Christ has shone upon it. So this morning, how big, how big and flourishing is the grace of God in your life? You know, last week we talked about, not last week, last week somebody else talked the week before that, we talked about what's next. After Jesus Christ is, is risen from the dead, right? It's sort of like the door's open and he's standing there and we ask, what's next? What is the next thing that Jesus wants to do in our lives? And that is that we saw that what God does for us, that work of deliverance, that work that Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection, what God does for us, does something to us. It does something to us so that God's work continues to get done for others through us. God does something for us that changes us on the inside so that God's work continues to get done for others through his people. I was talking with a friend this week who said, I'm interested in Sunday's sermon because I want to know what's next next. What is the next next thing? We talked about that. But what happens after that? We want this resurrection light to shine. We want God's grace to, to be extended and people to praise Him more and more. So what's next next? We have what we need. We talked about this. We have what we need in the Spirit. We have what we need in the Word. We want it to work though. So how does it work? Where does this grace going to take us next? So, we're going to begin this morning by reflecting on Judges chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1 just says, this is the song of the prophet Deborah, the judge Barak, and this is how their song, their, their tale begins. Uh, they just had accomplished this great victory over some of God's enemies. It's a time of the judges, it's a kind of crazy time. 
the book of Judges is typified by a reoccurring phrase that says there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But here at the beginning, we get a glimpse of how that situation is supposed to be improved and how God wants His people to live and run. So Deborah and Barak lead Israel into battle and God works a great victory and then they sing this song as so often happens in the Bible stories, right? They're singing and dancing and frolicking afterwards. And this is how it begins. It says that the leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. And they go on to bless the Lord for 20, 30 verses. Why is the Lord being blessed? The Lord is being blessed and praised because the, because the congregation did what God had called them to do. They did what they were supposed to do. They rallied around the Lord, they rallied around His Word, and they fought their enemies. Now, why did the congregation do that? Why did they do what they were supposed to do? Because the leaders took the lead. You see that? The leaders took the lead. When leaders lead, the congregation works properly. The enemies of God are defeated. God's grace is glorified. The Lord is praised. This is how the work that God wants to do in this world works. The work of God works when leaders lead. That's not actually a slide. I just thought of that a couple minutes ago. I thought that's probably what I should have put up here. The work of God works when leaders lead. The leaders took the lead in Israel. So we're going to talk this morning about something that we almost never talk about. We're going to talk about leadership. I think we avoid talking about leadership because it is such a widely varied topic and it's one that the world thinks it has a corner on. There's a lot of painful, harmful versions of this. And a lot of us have suffered under painful, harmful versions of leadership. But this is the next, next thing. Now, Fellowship Bible Church has... uh, some great leaders, and I'm so thankful for them. And so teaching about leadership, leaders, I want you to understand, is not any sort of indictment on you. But this is what is next for the people of God, and what God is inviting all of us to. At the end of this, the Chronicles of Narnia, when all the characters end up in Aslan's country, they're running towards glory, and they keep saying to each other, let's go further up and further in, further up and further in. What is further up and further in for you in your Christian life? And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're going further up and further in. Now, leadership in the Bible is very clear. Jesus gives the best, simplest. You want to be great? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? The greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Here's what I take that to mean. Leadership is a step downward. It's a step down to that upon which everything else depends. It's a step in the direction of that upon which everything else rests. It's not a step down socially. It's not a step down in self-effacement. It's a step down because you're moving toward the operational essentials. I I grew up in a a big Baptist church. I mean, big in the 80s and 90s. It was a 900,000 person church. Uh, in, in suburban Detroit. And there was this big complex. We had a school. We had a, we had a 12-story retirement community. I mean, it was a whole little awesome cult thing. It was, it was great to grow up there, let me tell you. But one of my favorite places, I, my dad was a pastor there, so I had the run of the place most of the time. And one of the places, though, that I only went to very rarely because it was kept under lock and key was you had to go out of the courtyard that was in sort of the center of the main church area 
And there was a little hidden staircase that you went down to, and that was the mechanical room. That's where all of the stuff was that actually made the church building and the lights and the heat and the plumbing and everything function because that place functioned. And that's what, that's what leadership is in God's church. It's not standing up in the front necessarily. It's not the, the positions of prominence, but it's going down into that place of operational centrality, strategic central operations so that the whole thing works. The leaders lead, and then the congregation does what they're supposed to do, and then Jesus Christ is praised. We see the same truth, that, that God's church works when leaders take the lead in what is probably the most core text for the church. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Our next stop is going to be Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16 is what we're going to read in just a moment. This is probably the core text for the operation of the church. And we're going to see just how central, of course, the church is to God's operation in the world. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Let's begin reading in verse 11. And Jesus gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is this beautiful vision, right? It's this beautiful vision of what God wants to do in the world, but we can see that it is designed, it is designed so that it depends on leaders taking the lead. Apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, doing what they're called to do. God's beautiful vision has been designed to depend on leaders who lead. So now let's take take some time this morning and reflect on what it takes to lead in God's church and what kind of leaders this kind of thing needs. What does it take to lead in God's church? Now turn a few pages to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is another one of the core passages for what churches are to be and do. And we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. 1 Timothy 3:15, we talked about this at our new members class last Sunday afternoon. But 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says to Timothy, I, I'm writing this stuff in case I delay so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, the church of the living God. He said, I want you to know how the church ought to operate because the church is where God dwells on earth. It's the household of God. And he says, it is a pillar and buttress of the truth. That the church needs to operate properly so that the truth of Jesus Christ is held up for the world to see like a pillar 
and held steady by the buttresses on either side so that the gospel of Jesus can be clearly and consistently seen from generation to generation all across the world. This is the job of the church. How, then, does that going to be accomplished? Well, that's what he just got done describing. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. What is he talking about in chapter 3, verse 1? Or look at chapter 3, verse 8. He says, This saying is trustworthy. If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Let's talk, he's going to go on and talk about elders there. And then in verse 8, who does he begin talking about? Deacons. Deacons, deacons likewise must be this, that, and the other, right? So, the church operates in such a way that it clearly and consistently presents the gospel to the world only when the leaders lead. Leaders gotta take the lead. Leaders are how the church operates in this ideal way. So, what does it take to lead? Uh, now we're gonna zoom in on just chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anybody aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We've got a little bit of a problem here in this verse. I want to draw your attention to this. It says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, the, uh, the phrase office of is not actually in the original language. It actually literally just says, if anybody aspires to overseeing, he desires to do a noble task. So the, the, the first thing that it takes to lead in God's church is, well, slides are out of place, is you've got to want to do the work. It's a work. You've got to want to do the work. Being an elder is not a position, it's a job. Leaders here are those who do the work. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, so just a minute and a half before 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says the goal of our instruction. Paul, what's next, 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 next? What is the goal of your instruction? It is love. It's not to get everybody into a position, but to get everybody into the, the heart of Christ, into the work of love. You want to do the work. Friends, being a leader in the world can be something that you're just called. It can be a plaque on your door. It can be a title behind your name, a set of, of letters behind your name. But leadership in the church is something you do, not something you're called. And this can be a challenge because so often in the church, people, people feel like the, uh, they want increased recognition without deeper participation. That, that leadership is sort of a, leadership is an attendance award. But it's about taking that step down into the mechanical room. It's about the work. And the job that we do here in leadership of the church is the work of shepherding. From cover to cover, leaders in, the, in God's work are called shepherds. So what's the work of shepherding? The work of shepherding is making sure that the flock is laid down by green pastures and led to still waters. And their souls are being restored by what you do. And they're being, they're being led in paths of righteousness for the, for the sake of the Lord. And when they go through dark and scary places, you're there with them. 
helping to protect them, helping to guide them. I'm talking about Psalm 23 kinds of work. This is the work of shepherding. Now, why would you, right? You read Psalm 23 and we're thankful that Jesus is doing that. Why would any of us want to sign up to to try to do that for each other? Why would you, Brian, why why do you, Tony, why would you do this? Why would you do this? You would do it because Jesus is worthy. And you recognize that Jesus is working here. That's what you see. Jesus is worthy and Jesus is working here. So you want to do this work, but here's the second thing that is required to take the lead in God's flock is you have to be willing to take responsibility. You know, so many people, and this is, this is a great thing to say, and I 100% love to hear this and the heart behind it. I am happy to serve, but I don't want to be in charge. I'm happy to serve, but I don't want to be in charge. That, that's okay. That is all right. That is a, there can be a good heart in that. But I think we all have to admit that we have been discipled by American culture for uh, however many years you are old which is very much of an individualistic, consumerist kind of a thing. And so it may be that we're saying, I'm happy to serve, but I don't want to have to. That's a big step, isn't it? When you're like, I like to serve, I don't want to have to. I don't want to be held accountable for this. I don't want to be held to take responsibility for this. I'm not really interested in, this, in making a difference. I just like to help. Let me give you some, some, some deep insight here. <laughs> deep, this is a, this is a pro, pro tip, right? We tend to look at responsibility in the American culture as if it's a trap, right? You ever been asked to coach one of your kids' sports teams? Like, oh my goodness, no. <laughs> This is a trap, right? We've got this just this deep fear of missing out. I don't want to commit to this. I don't want to take responsibility for this team or this schedule. How many nights a week, right? Like, I don't want to do this. But here in the church, responsibility is not a trap. It is not something that is going to stifle and box in and close in and diminish your spiritual growth. It is a trellis that is going to let you flourish and be fruitful. When you see somebody who has been a Christian for decades and decades and decades and they have not sunk their roots in and taken responsibility for a group of people, you do not see them as a spiritual leader. You see them back where they were the whole time because the, the lids of the box on that plant, I don't know if this is how plants work, but they stay that size. And responsibility is, is opening the lid. Responsibility is letting that thing grow. All my pastor friends, all without exception, they all say, I get so much more out of what I do than any of my congregation does. That's 100% true. You know, I've got one of my pastor friends, he says, people only learn what they need to learn. Responsibility might be the only source of education in our lives that we've, that's ever actually worked. In other words, what we're saying here is that the people who give the most are the ones who get the most. What do the tallest trees have? How's that, how's that little saying go, right? The tallest trees have the what? They have the deepest roots. 
That's actually not true. Uh, I mean, really tall trees, obviously, they have substantial roots. But what they've found is that the tallest trees, they don't have the, the deepest roots. They are interlocked with all the trees around them. So they get started with deep roots, but then they send their nutrients, they send their growth underground to others. When you look at a forest, the tallest tree is the one that has taken the most responsibility for the other trees. The tallest tree is the one that has taken the most responsibility for the forest. The, the tallest trees are cantilevered into the sky by their ownership of the relationships around them. So with that image in mind, I want to uh, raise a problem that is uniquely facing our church in the next uh, little bit here. We are in need of elders. Our church needs elders. Uh, Tony Rosendahl has been serving time out of mind. He's been serving for a little while here, and he is looking forward to retiring. He is turning a certain number this coming year, and uh, he would like to be able to retire, at least for a season. Uh, at that point, Brian has been serving again, time out of mind. For, he's been serving for a long time without break. We need elders. And this is a very important service in the church, right? Actually, all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 is the first time elders are talked about. Elders have always been given by God for his people central strategic responsibility. They're, they're the greasy. Greasy fingernailed guys carrying the clanking tools down into the mechanical room. They've got that central strategic responsibility, without which, friends, a church isn't really a church. It's not really a flock. It's, it's just scattered sheep. Or in the words of wolves, it's, it's lunch. We need elders. And so I want to invite you, congregation of Fellowship Bible Church, be praying for God to stir the hearts of the men in our congregation. And men, I would encourage you to pray about this. If you see problems in the church, if you see problems in the culture that you want to address, problems in the church that you want to address, I want to leave you with the words of Jocko Willink, uh, Navy, retired Navy SEAL, leadership consultant, who said, friends, all of your problems are leadership problems. All problems are leadership problems. So we need leaders our church needs elders. What does it take to lead? It takes a desire to do the work and a willingness to take responsibility. But now, let's think about what kind of leaders does this operation need? What kind of leaders do we need? We talk about the qualifications. Now let's talk about the qualities. Certain qualities are appropriate to the kind of work that we do. And so now turn with me to Psalm 51. This is a passage Sarah read for us a minute ago. We're back in Psalm 51. Johnny says, I think we've read this chapter 50 times in this church. And I said, 51. Boom. <laughs> he did not like that. That was dumb. But I want to look at Psalm 51 because th this is really what has stirred my heart the most in the last six to eight months. 
This is what's really given me a vision for the kind of leader that churches need. 1 Timothy chapter 3 goes through the qualifications of eldership is what it's traditionally called. And they're sort of the disqualifications of eldership. It's like if you don't have these things, you can't be an elder. But what really is a leader in the church, whether it's an elder, a deacon, a wise woman, in all of the different levels of leadership, really, what do they need to lead? What are the qualities In Psalm 51, we have an example of a gospel-transformed shepherd, which is why this is a great place to look for a leader. He's he's a shepherd of God's people, transformed by the gospel. And so we're going to look here for the qualities that are essential. We want want to to see what a leader is not defined by the the world. So many people will say, I'm not a leader, which means they're not loud and bossy. That's great. (laughs) We don't want loud, bossy people. There's all different kinds of leaders. What are the essential qualities? That's what we're going to talk about. So let's just get into Psalm 51 for a second and review it. Uh, We we spent a month and a half, two months of this uh, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. But verses 1 to 6, David, he describes what he knows about God as a response to how broken he has become in himself because of his sin. What Ben was describing at the beginning of our service is what David has experienced and is describing here. I've been so broken, and through that brokenness, I've come to understand great things about God. And then in verses 7 to 12, he describes an inside-out experience of the gospel. He says, "From let the bones you've broken rejoice. Give me a, a new heart and a right spirit, and wash me clean. He wants a complete transformation by the gospel, and this is what God gives him. So that we come to verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. This is what we talked about two weeks ago. God has done something for David that has done something to David so that now David wants to see God's work continue to others through him. That's what verses 13 to 17 are. And then at the end of the chapter, we meet the leader. We meet David, not just uh, David the Christian, David the discipler, but now we meet David the leader. Look with me in verses 18 and 19. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. I know it doesn't sound like much, but these are actually (laughs) the two essential qualities for those who are going to have central strategic responsibility in the church. The first is prayerful. Because what is verse 18? It's a prayer, not just for David's own self, but a prayer for the work of God and his people. Do good to Zion. You know why David is now praying Because for the last four verses, five verses, he's been trying. (laughs) As you know, who have ever tried to see somebody turn to be saved by Jesus or to see Jesus transform their lives, if you've ever worked for that in anybody's lives, you know what? You can't do it. If you could do it by your sweat and your effort, (laughs) there'd be a lot more Christians. But we have to trust in God. We have to cry out to Him in prayer. David has come to realize that my efforts are not enough to produce God's goal. And so he's got to be prayerful. But now here's where it gets interesting. is verse 19. Then you'll delight in right sacrifices. And notice the sort of escalation here in what is being put on the altar. Right sacrifices, burnt offerings, 
whole burnt offerings, and bulls will be offered on your altar. Now we talked about this back when we were studying Psalm 51, but this, these are substantial gifts being given to, to the glory of God and the good of the people. Because all of these offerings are cooked up by the priests and then dispersed among the congregation. Now you can imagine, this is a substantial thing, right? A bull in an agricultural society was a major investment. It was a major gift. Your family was counting on that bull for future things. <laughs> and now here it is being cooked up for the people of God. Why would you do that? Because David says, listen, I, I know that I can't do it. But I know that this work, this operation is what matters most. And so I'm going to serve it with my best. The second essential quality of a leader in the church, prayerful and passionate. This is a very unique mix. Because on the one hand you're saying, I know my hard work is not going to work, so i got to be prayerful. But on the other hand you're saying, this is the greatest thing to give the most of myself to, so I'm going to give it all. Even though I know that that's not going to work, but prayer does, but I'm, I, I don't care. I'm just going all in because this is what's right. This is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He says, I worked harder than everybody else. But I know that it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. I worked hard, but I know that at the end of the day, the only thing that worked was God and His grace. Leadership believes that Jesus is worthy. So here goes my burnt offerings. And Jesus is working. So I'm going to pray. Be prayerful and passionate. Leadership is taking a step deeper into alignment with those truths. Prayerful and passionate. Now I want to address a possible zag right here when we should be zigging. So, uh, I don't want you to hear this through, we're all hearing it through sort of our American mythology filter, which is whenever we get excited about something, we start thinking in terms of cowboys, spaceships, and stadiums. Right? This is this sort of the American way to, like, if you hand any, apparently, if you hand any American male a billion dollars, they're either going to buy a thousand acres in Montana, build a spaceship to fly to the moon, or... Right, uh, partial ownership in some sports team. Right, we just <laughs> cowboys, spaceships, stadiums. So we hear about we hear about how Jesus is worthy and Jesus is working. And there's part of every single one of us now that the spirit is stirring and saying, "Oh yeah, Jesus is working. Jesus is worthy. Come on." And and you can very easily say, "All right, so so now me go do wow. Like, what's the wowest thing that I can do for you, God?" But I want you to see what David does in this moment of passion and enthusiasm. He says, praise God, do good to Zion. And then what does he do? He goes and does good to Zion. <laughs> he prays do good to Zion, and then he goes home and he picks his nicest bull, the meatiest bull, and he brings him down to the temple and says, let's feed everybody. So everybody here gets their hearts refreshed with the goodness of God, and God's people are pumped up to shine the light of His goodness to the world. 
He prays do good to Zion, and then he does good to Zion. Because the work of God, friends, the work of God is done through the church. This is how his work works. You know, Matthew 28 is the, the Great Commission, the great discipleship passage. Uh, I want you to understand that what, happened, what didn't happen and what does happen in Matthew 28. Jesus didn't say, all right, good, everybody's here. Peter, come here for a second. And he pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. So, all right, he gives them the whole thing. He says, no, go, get out of here, go. And then, hey, John, come here for a second. Hey, John, I want you to go make disciples. He doesn't give him the commission individually, right? And say, it's all up to you. You go do it. He says, hey, team, I want you all to go make disciples of all nations together. I want you to do this thing together. He wants us to do it as a church. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 14, 12, Paul says to the church there at Corinth, since you are so eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Anybody here want to see the Spirit in their lives more? Right? So then strive to excel in building up the church. This is where the work of God is done. And so the church needs prayerful, passionate leaders. This is Christ's design for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. This is his design that the leaders take the lead. So what's next? What is next next for you? Leadership here starts with service, so don't get too excited. <laughs> Serve Christ in church. Take that step down. That step down toward that upon which everything else rests. Do the work. Maybe be willing to take responsibility Grow in, in your prayerfulness and ask the Lord to stoke your enthusiasm for the worthiness of Jesus, for His grace and for His church. I'm going to share a verse with you. I don't like this verse. But I just felt like this is the right verse. Uh, this is a pastor in the Bible talking to his congregation. I would never talk to you guys this way. So that's why I'm just going to quote him and let him talk to you this way. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 5, where Heber, the, the pastor of the book of Hebrews says to his congregation, by this time you ought to be teachers. So I don't know if that's you. But sh should you be a leader at this time? What have you gone through? How, how long has it been? Should you be a leader? I don't know. I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> I'm just here with you. But this is the thing in the Bible. And then he goes on and he says, two verses later, so let's go on to maturity. Where, wherever you are with this, let's go on. Maturity. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, uh, we proclaim Christ, teaching and admonishing everybody so that we might present every single one of us mature before Jesus, mature in Christ. Friends, maturity in the church is not intelligence. It's not how much experience you've had. It's all of those things and more applied in the service of loving God's people for His glory. I know you guys. You are very smart. You are very experienced people. 
So, what are you going to do? What God has done for us does something to us so that His work continues through us. The seed of grace has been planted in our lives and the seed grows. Our hunger grows. Our zeal for the Lord grows. Our prayerfulness grows. And friends, I want to assure you before we close that what is actually growing is you. Your soul is growing. Your life is growing. You, the slow explosion of that seed, you are growing. And so, as we grow, the light grows. That, that resurrection continues to dawn in this world through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You comfort us in so many ways. And Your truth is, is so comforting and so encouraging. But that comfort and encouragement that You want to give us, that, that strength, that grace, that wisdom, that courage, it continues to call us forward. You're, you're, your love continues to grow in us. And, and we see now through your word the path that this takes of greater relationship responsibility, of a greater sense of ownership for the mission, a greater sense of ownership for the church. Lord, we're all in different places this morning. We're all in different locations spiritually in our lives and our hearts. And so, Lord, you know what we what we ought to focus on, and, and yet you also know who of us and in what ways we can take this step down, this step into greater, deeper service. Because, Lord, we all agree, we all here agree that Jesus is worthy, and we all here love and are delighted by the truth that Jesus is working. And as astonishing and and sometimes bewildering as it is to know that Jesus is working through His church, through this, through us. Uh, Lord, we give You praise and thanks. And so, Spirit, we, we now entrust ourselves to You. We ask that You would lead us, um, crystallize in our minds the next step for each one of us here. And we ask that You do this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.